Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I'm Sophia and I'm joined by Hannah Fuhlendorf. I want to say it the German way now. <laughs> Fuhlendorf. Um, Fuhlendorf. Now. So I, Hannah, I mentioned this before we started recording, but I've been following you for a long time. I refer to your blue hair days. Um, way back. Right? You... I think you were one of, yeah, I mean, you've been doing this for a number of years, right? Like, cause I've definitely been, it's been years. And I was so drawn to your content because you would, it's like, just like you with your headset on holding your mic, <laughs> like the, the, um, Apple kind of little square rectangle mic, my little headphone mic, <laughs> right? I love it. It's just so like what everyone has. So nothing fancy. And you're just like, let me tell you some stuff. And it was so clear and so informative and really impacted my own journey towards fat liberation, listening to you describe oh, so many things related to anti-fatness, anti-fat bias, weight stigma. Like there was just so much that you talked about. Um, and I've I think I've probably reshared a ton of your content. Like it's just been so good. And so I'm fangirling out because I'm very excited to talk to you in real life. So welcome. Thanks. I feel welcome. <laughs> Good. Um, so Hannah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Hannah Fullendorf. Uh, pronouns are she, her. I am a licensed therapist um, living in the state of Colorado and uh, in addition to being a licensed therapist, I am also a personal coach um, and an educator and activist, all on the topics of health justice and fat liberation. Nice. I love that term health justice. I don't know. Yeah. Can you say a little more about what that is, actually? Because I think that's a really interesting term I've not heard as often. Yeah, that was actually something that I shifted to maybe a year or so ago after seeing a lot of conversations with other activists who um, are like probably more well known as being active in the health at every size uh, space. And while I think that that uh, I think health at every size is a good thing, I think that it's a necessary and life saving medical approach. Um, it is also insufficient in some ways, and it does not necessarily encapsulate all of the ways that people need justice in the healthcare system. Um, it doesn't encapsulate the ways that like people of color and trans people and, um, lots and lot like poor people and immigrants and non-English speakers 
And lots and lots of people need justice in the healthcare system, but often do not get it. And so um, while it is certainly true that fat people experience a lot of injustice due to weight discrimination in healthcare settings, that is just one way in which people need change. And so I sort of shifted to a broader uh, activist perspective, uh, and it has been very helpful. I love that. Yeah, I feel the, especially when you're really working at that systemic level, that makes, I can really feel the expansion of that term, health justice. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and, and, and telling me about it. So if we come back to you and your relationship to the word fat, because I checked out your website, you definitely talk about yourself as a fat activist. So what's been the journey like with the word fat for you? Oh, man. I mean, I think like a lot of people, I grew up with the word fat feeling incredibly painful. Um, It was used against me as a weapon, as it is for many people in fat bodies, (laughs) especially during our formative years. Um, it took a long time and a lot of convincing for me to actually start to embrace the word fat. Um, and it was actually a therapist I had when I was 24 or 25, I want to say, who, um, I remember we were sitting in her therapy room together and I was like talking about my experience with my body and like how much pain I felt with like how I was treated because of my weight and the limitations that I saw on myself because of it. And I kept, I think, referring to myself as like bigger or larger or like plus size, all of which are like acceptable words, by the way, if you're not comfortable using the word fat yet, I think using some sort of like bridge words can be necessary. For people. Um, and she basically was like, how do you feel about the word fat? And I was like, bad. (laughs) And she was like, do you think that you could ever, uh, be convinced to like challenge yourself and try using it? And I was basically just like, no, (laughs) I, okay. I was like a pretty tough therapy client. I think, um, any therapist can tell you that counseling other therapists is like both the best and the worst case scenario. (laughs) Um, so she was like, okay, well, I just want you to like, keep that idea in your brain and like, see if at some point it feels more, uh, more acceptable. And I was like, okay, like whatever, unlikely, but we'll see. And then kind of slowly over time, um, as I was learning more and more about fat activism, I saw people I really respected who were like activists and academics and educators and people who I have immense respect for who were using the word fat um, in a casual, neutral way. And I just felt like if these people who I really admire so much are doing this in a way that like is not hurting them, is not hurting other people, and in fact seems like it might be kind of freeing, like maybe I can also do that. Um, and so I started challenging myself and I've never looked back because it is deeply liberating to acknowledge that like, I am a fat person. I live in a fat body. Um, it's not an insult. It is a description and it's a description that fits me well. Um, and that's literally all there is to it. 
I, I love being able to take the power and the sting away from that word. I love not even allowing it to be a weapon anymore, even when people intend to use it that way against me. Like any person on social media, I get troll comments um, and people who can just be like very cruel who will, you know, contact me for the purpose of trying to make me feel bad basically being like oh you fat you fat bitch and i'm like yeah you know what i am a fat bitch yeah. you have eyes congratulations <laughs> i love it i'm always fascinated about how other activists handle trolls so like would you say that or do you just delete them or you just ignore them what do you actually do nowadays i just delete i block and delete pretty vigorously um i just don't see because I, I'm a big believer that people are capable of growth and change, um, but they have to be wanting that in order to do it. And it seems pretty clear to me that when people uh, engage in trolling behaviors, they are not in a place where they are seeking <laughs> to grow and change. And so I would be fighting a losing battle where I would just be trying to argue with a brick wall. And so that is not something I have any interest in spending my time or energy doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I've i started using, I don't know if it does any good, but I've started using the report and then I'll either say this is bullying or harassment or this is spam. Like, I'll Yeah, if it's egregious, I will do that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot of hope that anything is actually done about it, but that's fine. At least it's not on my page. I love that that's the reaction with trolls. Like, you know, if they're not open, then like there's no point in talking to a brick wall. What about people that you know? Oh, um, I mean, first of all, I don't think that like, apart from when I was a kid, I don't know that I've ever had people... I know actually be quite as like intentionally cruel as that. So it's a different dynamic, but I have certainly had people in my life say things that they thought were helpful that were absolutely not <laughs> and were in fact like pretty deeply fat phobic. Um, and I have become excellent at uh, shutting those conversations down right quick. <laughs> Can you give us an example? Because I think, so I, just so you know, I have a lot of non-fat listeners on the show. And part of why I love that, which was very unexpected for me as like the host of Fat Joy, I, I thought it would just be my people, just fat people. Um, but I get lots of feedback from non-fat people. And so I'm always like, I so now the podcast for me is taking on this other kind of objective, which is highlighting this kind of unconscious bias, this I'm trying to be helpful stuff that people who don't live in marginalized bodies do. So can you give us an example of like what you mean by a helpful comment? It's interesting too, because I think there's like different categories of these things. Like I think some people really do think they're being helpful. And then I think there are like, there's this whole other set of circumstances where someone may be talking about themselves. Uh, but in doing so, they are like uh, irrefutably making a comment about fatness or fat people in general. And I know that like the response to this is like, well, I'm just talking about myself. I'm like, no, you're letting me know how you feel about fatness. And I am a fat person. So like, it's actually not just about you. Anytime you are describing your feelings about a trait 
that people really have. <laughs> um, it is not actually just about you. It is about all people who have that trait. Um, so I think those are kind of like the two like buckets <laughs> of comments that I interact with most often. Um, for people who are trying to be helpful, like this has been, this is really common with family members in my case. Um, that has been like a real uphill battle for me is trying to get my especially older family members to understand this and respect it. Although I will say I've made progress in that respect. Um, but like comments like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, I think like very suggestive comments, like I want to get uh, to a healthy weight or like, I want to diet or like, I like, and don't you want to do that with me? Sort of like invitational things. Um, and depending on exactly what is said, my response is often something to the effect of like, oh, I'm good. Or like, like, yeah, like my relationship with like food and movement, like I'm solid. Like, you don't need to worry about me. Like, I'm good. <laughs> um, in the cases where someone is making like a more diffuse comment that might not be directed at you necessarily. Like this happens a lot when people are like, Oh, I've been so bad. Or like, Oh, I wish I could eat cake, but like, I can't. And I, this is kind of snarky, but my go-to response is basically like, Oh, that's a bummer. I think I'll have some now. Uh, uh, I love this. Cause like there's, it shuts it down. You're right. Like there's nowhere, nowhere to go. I love it. Oh, I'm going to try both of, I've done the first one. The second one, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to, th yeah, next time I'm in a situation like that, I'm going to do that. Uh, that sucks for you. I'm totally going to have dessert. Yeah, I'm going to have a donut or like, I'm going to eat some chips and like, you know what? I'm good. Like, I'm just solid. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Very cool. Thank you for sharing some of that wisdom with us. I imagine, imagine these kinds of conversations. Well, I shouldn't imagine. I'm making a big assumption, but when you're working with clients, do you say clients or patients as a therapist? I say clients. Clients. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you're working with clients, I imagine these are some of the things that come up like, oh, my mom just won't stop saying X, Y, Z about my body. Yeah, or, totally. And those, those are more complicated conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously for sure. At a higher level, we're talking about systemic weight discrimination and then how that shows up in the work that you do with individual clients is as a therapist and kind of helping them move. I, I don't know. I always feel like there's this balance that happens, right? Because we're living within this system that is discriminatory, filled with bigotry, not designed for us in our bodies. But then we also still have to live in it and we also want to live a great life and we want to have fulfillment and happiness and joy and pleasure. And so holding both of those, I feel is like, a, I find it a daily challenge because I'm equally pissed off and also equally determined <laughs> to live the amazing life that I want to live. And I just, I'm really curious about how you support clients with the both and of that. I mean, this is, I think, the primary focus and the daily struggle of my work. But in, in a good way, I think that there is a lot that can be done. Um, this is 
trying to learn how to live a full uninhibited life in a world that is innately trying to inhibit you (laughs) all the time, it, it holds a great deal of tension. And I think, first of all, there is no getting to the point of freedom and liberation without first going through the grief of acknowledging the reality of our world. I talk a lot with clients about the grieving process um, because I find that it is a universal experience for people in fat bodies who are choosing to pursue joy and fulfillment and meaning in their lives because we have all been we've all been fed this lie of the thin ideal, right? We have all been taught this lesson that like, if only we could be thin, right? Then everything in our life would be perfect. Our relationships would be amazing. Our like, we would, our work would be great. Um, We would be happy. We would be healthy. All of the promises that thinness makes for us. Um, which is not to say that people in thinner bodies do not have easier times accessing some of those things, because that is certainly true. But they are also not like mm-hmm. walking on clouds all day, like not, all, you know, that's, this is the fallacy. But, that- we, but we think that as like fat people, we think like, oh, their life is like perfect and so easy. And like, to be clear, they do have privilege. Like thin privilege is real. Like they're not going to have to face the discrimination in healthcare or employment or housing that fat people do have to contend with. Um, And all of that is valid. But thinking that it is going to transform your life from being like whatever, from experiencing whatever hardships you may be experiencing to experiencing none. And this is like the key. (laughs) It's just simply not true. Um, and also not possible. Right. And so we kind of have to break down both of those ideas, both the not true and the not possible. Like, even if it were true that thinness would solve all your problems, even if it were true that thinness would ensure that you never experience discrimination again in your life or no one is ever cruel to you again, or like you never face any barriers. Like it is just simply not supported by science that like there is no method in existence to permanently turn a fat person into a thin person in a way that is like safe and effective. That is just not a thing that exists. And we have to do a lot of, we have to discuss that quite a bit. Um, And I think this is where like my knowledge and education on this topic becomes very important. And I also tell clients all the time, I give them resources. I have them read books. I have them uh, listen to podcasts. I have them read research articles um, if they are struggling with this concept. And a lot of my clients don't. A lot of my clients choose to start working with me because they already know this data and they know that permanent weight loss is just like kind of a myth (laughs) that doesn't exist. Um, and they are ready to like, basically say what now (laughs) and move forward. Um, but some of my clients come to me in a place where they're still kind of holding on to hope that like, maybe they can still change their body into a thin body. And we have to do some, some myth busting and some breaking down there. And that triggers the grieving process, right? Because we, as fat people, we hold on to the myth of the thin ideal, right? We hold on to this 
this hope that oh, that's on the horizon. As soon as I get the right combination of things down in the right way, in the right order, then I can finally be thin. Um, and then this is going to happen for me. So we pin our hopes on this and releasing that dream is deeply deeply oh, painful so hard even as you're talking about it i'm like oh i still feel the grief of that how do you remember your grief journey with this oh yes i was crushed um as but like <laughs> you have to you have to do that in order to build after um as someone who like loves information and data and research as much as i do i know not every not everybody spends their free time just like reading research papers <laughs> um, but that was like one of the um predominant ways that my fat liberation journey began because i was like oh shit this isn't real it's just not real like there is no there is no method in existence that can permanently turn a fat person into a thin person um it just doesn't it's just not real and that was crushing because <laughs> i had invested so much time and energy and money decades literally decades like i started trying to lose weight for the first time when i was like nine you know and that lasted until i was like 25. so it's just you know <laughs> It, it was a it was a crushing realization, but it was also absolutely necessary for me in the same way that I believe it's necessary for all of my clients. You have to be able to let that go and grieve it. You have to feel those hard feelings and feel that sadness and be able to let go of the fantasy in order for you to actually start living the life you have, in order to actually think, okay, now that I know that's not going to happen. What am I going to do with the life I actually have? What am I going to do with the person I really am in the body I really have in this life? And that opens up a world of possibilities. And it is a beautiful thing to see people go through that grieving process and then have hope and curiosity and excitement about what their life could really be like. Yeah. Which is not the feeling that you have when you're pinning all of that hope and joy on thinness. You never actually get it. And in my, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I imagine this is true for <laughs> most people because we know there's no way to take a fat person and make them into a thin person, as you've said, is that I just constantly blamed myself for failing. And here I failed again. And here I failed again. And here I failed again. I could be, and I would say to myself, and again, this is something I hear all the time from fat people. How can I be so successful in all these areas of my life? And in this one, I'm a failure, you know? And so like letting go of that story that and grieving that is, it's, it's huge. It's what, I mean, again, speaking for myself, but also for a lot of fat people, our identity is based on it. So it's like you have to strip away. I remember going through my change process started um, in 2015. I did this, well, 2014, I did coach training. And then in 2015, I did this year long leadership program that I described as like, it felt like I was being ripped open, my soul was pulled out and acid was poured on it. Like that is what my grieving process felt like. Like everything I knew suddenly wasn't true. Every person I had known had lied to me. Everything I was taught to believe this societal messaging was brainwashing. And it was like, 
it was like taking the pill in the matrix. You're like, so then what the fuck now? Like, who, who am I? What is this world? What's the point? Um, and it's, I mean, I still feel like I, I feel like I still grieve this. And although now I kind of, I've, I take it into action a little more easily now for, for years. It was like, I don't know how to be this person. Who am I? And I try different things. And it's, it, it, I think like grief processes in general, no matter what we're grieving, they're long and they're bumpy and they're unpredictable. So I think it's, I think it's really powerful that you start this way with clients and hold space for that process, that unraveling really that happens. Absolutely. And what you just said is so true. I remember when when I worked at an eating disorder treatment facility, one of the um, groups that I led for group therapy was called Authentic Self. And it was all about learning who you actually are without your eating disorder. And I would say, by the way, I have a much more like liberal view on this than maybe most people do, which like, I think the I think there is very little difference between dieting and disordered eating. I think that those are like two circles that heavily overlap and the line between them is very blurry and oftentimes they are the same thing. Um, But walking through the process of seeing patients uh, in this like inpatient treatment facility, watching them realize like, oh, I don't actually know who I am because this has divorced me from myself. This drive, these behaviors, um, this fixation on like, and by the way, eating disorders are not exclusively about uh, thinness, but that is almost exclusively a part of what they are about. Um, But seeing them have that realization of like, oh, I don't actually know who I am, can be crushing, (laughs) but then to see them be like, oh, but now I get to find out can be so exciting. And like the world opens up to you. Yeah. I always, I mean, I'm in awe that you were 25 when this happened for you. I often, I had, I was talking with someone who was 19. She's actually going to intern for me this summer on the podcast and like create some resources and stuff. And I was like, you're 19. I was like, oh my God, who could I have been if I'd had like at 19 instead of at 35 kind of like had this time? Like, yeah, because the world opens up in a way that is unbelievable. And it is unbelievable until you go through the pain. This is the hard part, I think, that is really right. It's like we have to take this huge trusting leap of faith that does not feel at all true in the moment and everything around us is telling us not to do it and like and then and then we do and it's incredible but i before we go there before we get to like the goods of what's possible then and how do you how if people are listening and are like okay this this feels like a journey i want to take or i want to investigate a little more how how do we or how do you support people with those first steps and then the whole like, oh, I see I'm really just going to have to let go of everything I know and trust something, question mark. Like, how do we even start that? Because it feels so impossible. And I just want to have one more thing because what I'm noticing now, Ozempic is everywhere. I'm on all these boards, both like fat positive boards as well as like regular Facebook groups, like, you know, mommies of whatever. Not that I'm a mommy, but I like to know what's going on in the communities I live in. And um, 
it's everywhere. So, and, and people are like commenting and, oh, it's great. Or, oh no, I was super sick and blah, blah. And it's just like, I'm just, it's very, Novo Nordisk is being brilliant right now at, um, with their marketing, with the incredible influencers and formerly fat activists who are now under their, uh, who have basically are on it now and talking about their journey with it. So some of these people who I, you know, have loved and respected for a long time, and I believe in body autonomy and people should do what's important for them, but it is a bit, it feels, it feels hard um, as an individual as well. So like, there's just so much against taking these first steps and knowing that it's going to hurt like hell. And there's a grieving process first before you get to the good stuff. Why would, why would anyone do it? Why would we do it, Hannah? <laughs> yeah. Such good questions. Um, cause you are a hundred percent right. It is like kind of a miracle that so many people have chosen to do this <laughs> at all. Um, because we are literally, we are literally told all the time that like, you have to lose weight. Um, it is a requirement if you are a fat person, um, and it, a, it's possible and B, it's going to radically change and improve your life. Um, and it's just wild to see all of these like people in positions of authority pushing this message. It is one of my, one of my favorite fat activists, Reagan Chastain, who, um, has her background in research and statistical analysis. I I love her because she is like just such a competent and well spoken academic. She's been on three times. I love her. <laughs> She's I could listen to her <laughs> forever, literally forever. I'm like just speak forever. Um and I remember her talking about this in like an early podcast that I had listened to her guest on. Um and she basically was like this is the only uh, scientific fact, as far as I'm aware, that requires no research to support it. Like, we all just think, like, we've all just decided that this is true without any data. Um, and so we have, like, literal doctors and other healthcare providers and, um, you know, people in huge positions of authority, like politicians and the president and, like... Uh, Michelle people. Obama, like... Totally, yes. Yeah, Michelle Yeah, Obama. 100%. <laughs> um, and so it is so counterintuitive because all of these information sources that we are taught to trust are giving us this information and by the way i'm not trying to like do any sort of conspiracy theory thing like experts generally know what they're talking about like i don't want to do any like weird anti-science rhetoric that's just not true um but this is like this is a particularly like interesting topic where there is a lot of personal bias that like just sheerly supersedes or ignores data um because it is such a like profound belief in our society at large um, and I do think that in this case, it does tend to cloud people's judgment. Um, and as far as like, so those are the stakes, right? Those are the, or not the, not necessarily the stakes. So those are like the forces working against us in this sense. So it is like kind of amazing that anybody chooses to do this. Um, I think for, I can only really speak for myself. Like a lot of my clients who come to me are already have the desire because they are like, this isn't working for me. Like my life feels bad right now. I feel bad. Something's bad, right? Like overwhelmingly, that is one of the primary motivators that people have when they seek 
therapy or coaching or whatever, which is basically like, um, things aren't good. (laughs) And I think that like recognition that like something is wrong can be very powerful because if we are taught, like if you do these things, everything is going to be great. And then you do the things and everything's not great. That's some pretty significant dissonance. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, I would just encourage them to ask themselves, like, do I really feel like I have the freedom that this promised? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. Do I really feel like I have the freedom that this promised? That's really great. That's a beautiful question. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes any anything that hinges on us shrinking literally and metaphorically right becoming less in any sense um because i think there are times where we adopt these messages not just with weight but in every part of our lives like we shouldn't be too loud we shouldn't be too opinionated we shouldn't try too hard we shouldn't ba 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 um because we think it's going to save us pain we think it is going to protect us from consequences. And while that may be true in the short term, what it often does, again, just like disordered eating, just like dieting, is it separates us from ourselves. It causes us to hide and shrink. And ultimately, we just, we start fading away and we lose sight of like why life can be exciting and important and why it's worth doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm like, I'm feeling the truth of that in my body and I can now feel it in my body because I have become, is re-embodied a word or just embodied? Yeah, because I think that's also part of what happens. And I, for me at least, I'm curious if this is true for a lot of your clients, I had to go through like a reintegration process because I had ignored my body. I'd penalized my body. I'd only celebrated my body under certain conditions. So to actually kind of intellectually understand the active, the, not the activist journey, but the, to, to fully, to understand the tenets of fat liberation and to be okay with the word fat and to let go of diet math that was in my day, in my head, like all day. And uh, that was one thing to do it intellectually, to actually then connect to my body in a different way to become truly embodied was, and I think continues to be, um, the next big step. Um, so I'm curious about that piece. That is a major thing. Yeah, that is a major thing I do with clients. Um, every person is different. So this happens on a different timeline for everybody. But when it seems like a client is ready, (laughs) uh, one of the things that I will often do with them is have them do like literal physical things to try to get them reconnected to their bodies. Because all of the disordered eating and self-hatred creates a massive rift between us and our bodies and we can feel very disconnected. Um, And so whether it is like doing meditation and body scans, whether it's stretching, whether it is literally just like refamiliarizing yourself with your body and like literally looking at it, which I know sounds basic, but is not. 
Um, a lot of people go years avoiding mirrors, avoiding having their picture taken. Um, and so their body can become a stranger to them visually, tactilely. I don't know if that's a word. That's okay. Um, but their body, their body can become a stranger to them. And also one of the things that happens is that we develop a picture in our mind of what we think we look like based on fantasy rather than reality. And so it is really common for people in larger bodies to have an image in their mind of them in a, in a smaller body. And so that is the thing that causes that pain when fat folks do some, like if they have been a person who has been avoiding mirrors and pictures, um, when they do have to see themselves, which happens even if we try to avoid it, um, the fact that the reality of our appearance doesn't match the image we have in our mind is what causes that pain. And so literally a huge part of what I try to do with clients is like, okay, we are going to reshape the image in your mind so that it matches what you really look like. And I know that that's like, again, it's part of the whole like grieving process because we're like, oh my God, I have to really let this go. And it's like, yeah, because like, I want you to think of yourself how you actually look so that when you see yourself in the mirror, when you see yourself in pictures, it's like, yes, this is my friend. This is my, per this is the person I'm familiar with. This is the person I know. And it's not like, who is this stranger looking back at me? Because that is what is really disconcerting. Right. And then often the next thought, at least in my case, would be, who is a stranger looking back at me? Oh my God, I must immediately diet. Exactly. Yes. I must change her. <laughs> yeah. So that she matches the image in my mind. Yeah. I, yeah. It's so interesting. It, it's, so I'm in a TMI because I love it, um, which is that. So taking a shower this morning, um, we have like a big mirror where in the bathroom with the nice shower and I was standing there and I was like looking, I, I do this now. This took a lot of work, but like looking at my belly, especially my belly has changed when I hit 40. I'm on some hormone meds for endometriosis and my body has changed. It's like shape. And I have this belly that hangs that is new to me. And I've really been consciously working at being okay with it. So like I touch it a lot. Like right now my hands are like on my belly and I, so in the shower or right before going to shower, staying there naked and I'm like looking at my belly. I'm like, okay, it's a belly. And I was noticing, cause I was, I'm always curious, like is, is, are the old patterns or the old stories or something that's going to show up? And I think I've finally hit like, I always feel like it's a video game. I think I've hit that level. There's so many more to go, but I've hit the level where I didn't have, I don't have any more of the ugly thoughts that have come up in the past. Um, I don't think I'm at the, I fully, like, I, I, I think I'm neutral. I'm working now towards love. Cause you know, like I, it's, it's, I, it's been a very interesting process and yeah. So just like you said, it seems simple, but I do know, again, I imagine a lot of people listening are like, oh yeah, when was the last time I stood naked in front of a mirror and like looked at my body with either neutrality or love or something not that, something that wasn't negative and hateful and, oh, I must change in some way that negative, those negative judgments that can show up. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big thing for people. And a lot of people need to start small, right? Like, um, 
every person every person has a different relationship with their body. Um, and sometimes the the pain and the disconnection that we experience can be like mild and sometimes it can be really severe, right? And so for some people loving their body, like experiencing like feelings of like excitement and affection about their body, maybe that's like not the reality for them. Maybe that is never going to be the end goal. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Some people need, yeah, some people need to aim for acceptance. Some people need to aim for neutrality because that is the win. That is the success. The non-judgment. Totally. Totally. And like some people when, when, cause I, I call it progressive exposure. Um, when people are like becoming reacquainted with their appearance, um, I start every client off at fully clothed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it, it like basically as you go and you become more and more comfortable and like those, um, self-critical thoughts begin to decrease, then you can sort of like move to different stages where you're challenging yourself more. But even with clients who like feel really confident, like I start everybody off at fully clothed because I'm like, this is going to bring up stuff for you that like, I don't know if like you realize, but, and for some people, the stuff that comes up is little, some people, the stuff that comes up is big and, but everybody has stuff. (laughs) And so it is just easier. And I think a more gentle approach to like start small, do like gentle, gradual increases um, until you feel like, yeah, I can look at myself stark naked, fresh out of the shower with no makeup on and see my belly and my arms and my thighs and feel like this is a friend I know. This is a person who is familiar to me, who I feel safe with. Oh, I love that so much. And I was, it's interesting. The other thing I was thinking is that now when I look at my naked body in the mirror, I'm like, ooh, what tattoo and where? <laughs> like, I'm like, where, 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 how can I like... How can I adorn her? Right? (laughs) (laughs) I will say it's interesting if people, I mean, I'll be curious what your kind of professional opinion is on this. I'm I'm the type of person who is like, I like to go big or go home. So for me, when I was starting this journey, I ran two fully naked workshops and I went to a sex club. Because for me, like... I have, I, maybe I'm just impatient. I'm a Gemini. I don't know. Lots of reasons. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. And I was literally, I was literally just thinking I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's a Gemini thing, but I was like, I, I always feel like I have to jump in. And this it's funny because growing up, this was one of my number one criticism from my parents was like, mm-hmm. why do you have to like jump in both feet, get all the full consequences? I'm like, and I think it's because that that really is just the best way for me to learn. Like I just, I like to go all in and then figure it out. Yeah. So is it the kindest way to myself? Is it the gentlest? No, but I found at least for this journey for me, I and I was leading, I led two workshops at a Korean spa where everyone was naked. That was huge because I had to like get over my own shit really quickly so that I could lead through everyone else's shit that was coming up and all the body stuff. So it was like, like just like an accelerated and then going to a sex club. Holy smokes. That's a whole other thing. Um, that was like amazing though. Can I just, I just want to like give a shout out for sex clubs really quick. Um, I've only been once. I definitely want to go back again, like COVID hit and anyway. So, um, and I think they're just now starting to open back up. Um, but I went with a group of friends who were in, who had various, 
like they, there was one poly couple and then one play couple. And so just like lots of different groups of people. And I don't think I've ever been in a space where I felt like bodies were more accepted. And that may have just been my experience in this one night, but like all bodies were present and all shapes and all like configurations of like body proportions. And it was the most, I remember I was walking around being like, it was so beautiful. And it was not at all what I expected. I was, I was like, I don't know if I could do this, but I feel like I should. And I want to just try like go. And I mostly just was a voyeur. I basically just like watched. I just kept walking around being like, look at all these bodies in motion, having pleasure. And because we're going to talk about pleasure too. And like doing all these things. And it was, I felt like my body was totally okay as it was. And it was, it was a really neat experience. So, so if you're listening, not that you have to go to sex club by any means, but, or run an, or go to or run a naked workshop, but it's an option. Yes. <laughs> and I think I really relate to that. Um, for me as well, honestly, like I have always been a very sexual person, but my relationship with my body has sometimes stood in the way of that. And I thought like, it's interesting too, because I didn't have the data to support this, but I thought like nobody would want me, even though this is going to sound so cocky, but I'm just going to be real with you. There has never been a point in time in my life where people didn't want me. Like I have always been a very, like, I have always felt extremely desired because like, I've always had people who desired me and my body has been bigger than it is now. It's been smaller than it is now. Um, my weight has never, <laughs> my weight has never kept me from having a wonderful, fulfilling and adventurous sex life. Um, or also a romantic life, right? Because, um, you, you can absolutely have both. Um, and that has been like a very liberating experience for me to actually embrace that and think like, oh, I can like believe the information I'm getting. Like, I don't need to talk myself out of this. I can just like believe like, oh, like people are showing me that they want me and like, I'm just allowed. <laughs> I'm just allowed to take that and be like, that's true. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to any of the, like any of the other thoughts getting in the way. Again, it's these thoughts of ours, right? Like, well, are they just being nice or are they just like, there must be some, you know, other reason why they desire. I'm the same way. I've, I've never lacked for uh desire from others. And yet I, it took me a while to believe the truth of that. Totally. And like, I think something that I have experienced, I think a lot of fat people have experienced is like, I have had situations in the past where somebody like really wanted to have sex with me, but it was very clear that that was it. And like, it was clear that it was because of shame, right? There are many reasons why someone may want an exclusively sexual relationship or an exclusively sexual dynamic. Um, that's fine. Casual sex is fine. Do your thing. Um, but I've had situations before where it was like, oh, if they didn't have shame, we could actually be in a relationship. Like if they weren't embarrassed of the fact that I'm a person in a fat body, like we could go out during the daytime. We could see each other in the daylight. We could go out on dates in public places. 
Um, and that is a very painful experience that like most fat people have had. Yeah. Which and is picking up on that. Right. And I think the other layer that's always really hard for that, or at least definitely in my experience is that how that's their thing. How do I not make that about me? Mm-hmm. Right. That skill of like separating what's theirs and what's mine. Big time. That's, that's a muscle to build. And I have gotten to the point now and to be clear i've also had many people who have um i've had many people who have sort of like healed that experience through their like enthusiasm for me and their like excitement in being with me in all settings like that has been very healing for me love that um but also i just had a perspective change over time and this is also a way that i encourage clients to think about this as well Like, it is obviously very hurtful if someone is ashamed to be seen in public with you. Like, there is no way to not feel some degree of hurt from that. And it is also true that, like, my perspective today and the perspective I've had for many years now has been how deeply tragic for them that they do not believe that they can be with the people that they want to be with. Whereas I can be with anyone I want. And that is so freeing and so beautiful. Like how tragic for them that they are bound by this where I have freedom. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so good. And that they, they can't see how bound they are. And I think some, some people, some people can, I think I have had, cause I, um, I have this one memory in particular, um, when I, I went to a private high school in, in a very wealthy area when I was young and I had a situation where a guy who was like one of the most popular guys in school, like for real, like hot jock popular and he lived in my neighborhood and he hit me up on, I don't know, Facebook or MySpace or whatever was happening, probably Facebook at the time, um, and started talking with me. And it was really clear that he was super attracted to me. And we started having little clandestine meetings where, you know, in high school, I would like sneak out late at night and he only lived like three blocks from me. And so I was able to like, you know, sneak in and we would hook up. Um, and I just remember like, we would have these, like, in addition to, you know, the sex, we would have these amazing conversations that were just like very deep and emotionally connected. And I could just tell how much he like cherished and wanted me, like how much he, like, I could tell how much he adored me. And I, I personally feel like I could pick up on the fact that like he was disappointed that he was not able to act on that further. And like, even though it was obviously very painful for me that he was not willing to like go public with our relationship, I just, uh, even, even back then before this had really become a crystallized idea in my mind that that was really sad for him, I still felt that on an emotional level where I was like, I can tell that this is causing him pain. Oh, okay. Thank you for encouraging me to be a little more empathetic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we should always, we should always focus on the people who are being the most harmed by prejudice. That's absolutely true. But it's one of those things where like how racism hurts everyone, how homophobia and transphobia hurts everyone. 
fat phobia also hurts everyone. everyone. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Wow, it's beautiful. I, w- I want to bring us, because we've started kind of going there, into this idea of once we've gone through the grieving process, once we're starting to go through the embodiment process, kind of coming back to ourselves, our full selves, figuring out who we are, we get to this point where we get to, in a way, it's not like a blank slate, but there's this opening that happens of, okay, what kind of life do I really want to live? What am I going to create for myself now that I'm free of these burdens of restrictions in all senses of the words, things that I would never do, things that I would never eat. Like, what if now everything is on the table? That's exciting. So what happens then with people? This is my favorite part of working with clients is there tends to be like, the concept of breakthroughs in therapy tends to be like a little bit underwhelming. <laughs> I think people are experience, are expecting these like massive, like earth shattering revelations. Um, and oftentimes it's like, oh no, I just like, wasn't like, you know, like they have these like kind of small, like, oh, I guess I can like start healing in this way. Um, whereas I think this is one of the rare times where it's like, no, it can be like a big, like bold breakthrough where people are like, well, fuck, I've got one life to live. What now? Um, and that can be so exciting. I have seen, I've seen clients go for jobs they've never gone for before. Sometimes they've shifted whole industries and have done like a major career change for something that was more visible, more scary, that had higher stakes for whatever reason. I've had clients who have pursued romantic relationships in a way they never have before who have found like a phenomenal partner or partners. Cause I work with monogamous and polyamorous uh, people as well. Um, I have seen people experience like sexual liberation, either like if they are single or monogamous or polyamorous in any of those dynamics, like having fun and adventure and freedom and actually like literal pleasure believing that their body deserves to be cherished and sometimes worshipped like you know depending on what you're into (laughs) um it can be so cool to see people be like i deserve goodness i deserve good things i deserve fun and freedom and pleasure and adventure and in a in a setting or a group of people who have been so deprived of pleasure and really like I can't think maybe like really strict religious communities would fall into this category as well. But there's like, what I'm saying is that there are very few groups of people who I think are deprived of pleasure quite as severely as fat people are, where food loses all pleasure, movement loses all pleasure. Um, Oftentimes we don't even try (laughs) to have sex or relationships that are meaningful to us because we think that either we can't get them or we have to settle for less. And so to see people actually believe for the first time, like, no, I actually deserve this. Like, I actually like want pleasure and I'm going to try to get it in lots of different ways, I think is like one of the most beautiful and exciting things that I see. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I'm like grinning ear to ear as you're talking about this, because this is my favorite part when I work with people as a coach, too. It's like when the it's just like that that power of possibility of like the dream actually being attainable 
And, and it's like my favorite question. I think my favorite coaching question ever really is what's possible. And people are like, Oh, what is possible? Like, I still remember being asked by my coach, what would it mean to live from a place of possibility? What would it mean to live from a place of purpose? And like, I'd never been asked that before. And I just, my, I literally broke down into like full body sobs. Cause I was like, you mean I'm, I'm allowed to think about the answer to that question? Like me, a fat person? I mean, it was just, it's such, Oh, I mean, it's amazing to be in that space and that energy. And, um, I love that you, you get to witness this with your clients as they expand and grow and, and you take what they want from this, you know, one wild and precious life that we have. Right. Absolutely. And I think for me in, in my own journey, there are certain things I think like fat phobia and like diet culture is a huge, like, barrier to pleasure as we were just talking about. But I I also grew up in a very conservative religious environment um, where pleasure was kind of demonized. And um, it took a long time for me to break out of that mindset because like the beliefs that I had when I started my own work was that like that anytime someone was like, well, I just want to be happy, right? Like happiness to me, it seemed like such like a frivolous, like fleeting thing. Like why would anybody pursue that when I was like, you need something with like depth and substance. that's like going to be lasting and sustainable. And I just also didn't really believe that happiness or contentment could be lasting and sustainable, <laughs> which I think says more about like my experiences and how my life was. Um, but like in the super conservative evangelical world that I grew up in, it was always seen as like hedonistic and selfish and bad to do anything for yourself, to do anything for pleasure. Like I remember when <laughs> I was in my early twenties and I had a really good friend who her upbringing was basically the opposite of mine. Her parents were extremely um, progressive and they had a very like open and honest and free relationship. Whereas like I was constantly lying to my parents and hiding from them because it just didn't, I did not feel safe or seen. <laughs> and I remember one time I was actually like at her parents' home for an event they were having and they asked me if I was happy. They just straight up asked me, they were like, are you happy? And that like melted my brain. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like 23 or 24 and I was just like, what, why does that matter? Like, and also in no universe would my parents ever ask me if I was happy because it wouldn't have mattered. And so like changing my perspective in that way was also genuinely life-changing. And I am at a point in my life now where it is certainly not the only thing that is important to me, but pursuing joy, pleasure, contentment, whatever you want to call it. I think all of those things are really blended together for me. It is a major priority in my life because I've never really had the chance to do that in a meaningful way up until now. And now that I have the opportunity, I'm doing everything and everything I can to grab on with both hands and not let go. 100%. Yeah, same Z's. Yeah. <laughs> and and when that becomes like the North Star or like my orienting principle to my life, it's like, okay, like it really, it rearranged my life in a 
big way. And it was slow. I've been working at it for years, but now I get to do what I want. I get to live in a space that I want. I get like, that brings me joy. Like it, it really does shift. And what I love too, this is my inner rebel is like, it is deeply like fuck the man to actually be joyful. Oh my God, we're not supposed to be joyful and fulfilled because that means that we won't, I don't want to participate in the late stage capitalism that drives everything. Absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. So this is, I remember maybe two, three years ago, um, first hearing the term pleasure activism. And I was like, what? Those words to get together? That melted my brain. I was like, what is this magical thing? <laughs> and that's what we're talking about. It's like allowing the pursuit, allowing, believing that we get to be worthy of and choose pleasure and joy and be at choice with it. Like, oh, it's such a different way to live because I didn't grow up evangelical, but I grew up with parents who were deeply, who lived in poverty as new immigrants to Canada. And so for us, it was like, if you weren't working, you were lazy which of course is like one of those trigger words for a little fat person. Um, and um, that suffering was how you knew you were doing it right. And my whole, the thing that I got told them, one of the things I got told the most as a kid was like that my passion, my mom would use the Greek word pathy, like control your pathy, Sophia, control your pathy. Cause I am just a very, like, I'm meant to be a hedonist for sure. I'm like built for hedonism <laughs> and pleasure and joy. And then, you know, that was, and I, and I get why protection, you know, my parents are doing the best they could, but like the message I got was anything that aligned with what I wanted to feel good about was either I was too focused on immediate gratification or is too deeply in like my pathy, my pleasures, my passions. And that was not okay. That was not the way to live in this world. And so, like reclaiming that, allowing that to be a guiding principle in my life. I mean, I, I don't have words for how dramatic that shift has been. Yeah, it's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. How do we invite people listening to connect just a little deeper? I really want to leave people with like, because both of us are like obviously very into this whole pleasure thing. So how do we invite people just one step like if they're interested, like what's one step forward into this idea of pleasure? I mean, I think there are many things people can do. I, I would encourage people to just overall embrace this as a question, right? Like what can I do to increase the pleasure in my life? Um, and just allowing that idea to exist in your brain, allowing yourself to consider that question, I think can be really powerful. Um, for me, and this is also something I do with my clients, what we do is we kind of break their life into categories, right? And so it's like, okay, we have like in food, in movement, in sex, in work, in play, in um, hobbies, like all of these different categories of a person's life, right? What is one way that you can increase the pleasure in that part of your life, even by like 1%, right? Teeny tiny. So whether it's like, you know what, in food, I am going to switch from like butter substitute or like margarine to actual butter. And like, I am going to try to like imbue flavor 
into my food or if it's movement being like, you know what? Um, I think I just need to stretch for a little while because that's something that actually feels good. That is something that I actually enjoy doing makes my body feel good or like choosing to do things that are actually outside of a gym environment where you're like connecting with nature or water or whatever else. Like I'm a swimmer. I love swimming and that is my happy place. (laughs) I love it. Um, Or like in relationships, like if I'm not currently in a romantic relationship and I want to be in one, what is one step I can take to move me a little bit closer to that? Or if you are in a romantic relationship and you're like, I want to increase the intimacy and the connection, or maybe I want to increase the quality of our sex life. What is one step I can take to do that? Like really just identifying these component parts of our lives and saying, what is one small thing I can do? to increase my pleasure in that area. And it can be like truly radically life-changing to even start thinking that way. Yeah, so true. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Well, and Hannah, that brings us to what you do for joy. How do you stay connected to joy and pleasure? How do you choose it? How do you bring it into your life? Uh, So many ways now. Um, I love it. So this has been, I'm sitting here in my little office. Um, I wish I could like, turn my camera so you could see my house. One thing that my husband and I have recently been doing is like adding more color to our home. I think like quite literally we were like, it's so gray in here. And so we've been choosing like emerald greens and like deep oranges and like teals and turquoise. And so it's like, we have a much more colorful, much more like vibrant and beautiful home than we've ever had. And we're sort of incrementally adding more color all the time which I love. Um, I love cooking. And so for me, trying like recipes that feel exciting or that feel challenging, like I have like, I got an immersion blender. Like I have like, I'm zesting everything. I'm using vinegar in different ways. I'm trying to learn some French techniques. Like I am really like going hard on (laughs) having fun with cooking, which has been really cool. Um, I do love forms of movement that make me feel like immersed in another world. So whether that is like a guided meditation with stretching or whether that is, um, swimming is my main form of exercise, my main form of movement. I love swimming. I love how I feel. I think lots of fat people love how swimming feels because we're just sort of like, we're just in the water and like our body is naturally buoyant. So like, we're not, as like, we're not as much risk of drowning. <laughs> so it just like feels, it just feels safe and good. Um, also like another way that I pursue pleasure, like I hope this isn't bad, but or too graphic, but like I have a phenomenal, like engaging and adventurous sex life that is something that, brings me so much joy and connection and like adventure. That is one of the primary ways that like I pursue adventure. I do also pursue adventure in other ways as well. Um, But sex has been like a very healing force in my life that has made me just see pleasure in a very literal sense and embrace it as something that is not bad, but can be beautiful and empowering. Um, I also have three cats. (laughs) (laughs) That's just another thing that like 
my husband and I just love cats. We just think they're great. And even though we live in a one bedroom apartment, um, I mean, it's a big one. They have enough space. Don't get, don't get mad. (laughs) (laughs) They are pampered. (laughs) Um, yeah, like I think we just, I think in many ways I, as an individual, and then my husband and I, as like two people who build a home together, um, we make decisions that are like pleasure based and joy focused on a regular basis. And that is something that like we have both really prioritized. Yeah. Oh, so, so good, Anna. I have loved this conversation. I feel like I have learned so much from you and yeah, it's just, it's incredible to meet you and talk in depth about the work that you do and the joy that you bring the people you work with. Like it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I just feel so honored for this, that we've been able to have this conversation. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I have loved being here. This was such a unique um, conversation compared to like other podcasts I've been on because I really do feel like I don't get to talk about joy and pleasure as much. I'm often talking about like the hardships of weight discrimination and, you know, all the things we can do to fight it and create change, which is also super important. Um, But in the midst of all of that, like before I am an activist or a therapist, I am a person. And I think that sometimes we lose ourselves in those roles And so being able to talk openly about this and about like the emotional experience of being a person who is choosing to live in freedom and liberation is very special. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you felt that. I did too in our conversation. So thank you. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. The wisdom and insights that Hannah brings to our conversation immediately reminded me of this questionful poem by Jean Lohman. It's called Questions Before Dark. Day ends, and before sleep, when the sun dies down, consider your altered state. Has this day changed you? Are the corners sharper or rounded off? Did you live with death? Make decisions that quieted? Find one clear word that fit? At the sun's midpoint, did you notice a pitch of absence, bewilderment that invites the possible? What did you learn from things you dropped and picked up and dropped again? Did you set a straw parallel to the river? Let the flow carry you downstream. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. 
And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And we'll talk again soon. 